first of all, thank you for agreeing to talk with me this morning. So what I, the first thing I wanted to say is that I know that you're a multidisciplinary artist, right? Like you do dance and I've seen like your Ted talk and your proximity video that was really powerful with the filmmaking part. And today I I'm really interested in talking about your poetry, especially what you shared on um, Saturday. And in particular, I would love to start with like your origin story of how you became a poet. For sure. Um, I do want to clarify, I am not, you know, just, I'm not a dancer, really. Um, living room dancer is what's in my bio. So like, right, I, right. I, like, I like to get down. Uh, I don't want anybody hitting me up after like, oh, can you come do some choreography? Um, but yes, I do like to, to move my body. Uh, how I came to poetry, really, my mom, um, in, um, in fourth grade, there was like a poetry unit, and that was like my introduction to what poems are, and we did like limericks and haikus, and we had to do uh, a poetry packet, and I got a really good grade on it, and my teacher called in my mom for like a positive reason, which was also new and strange, and so uh, she came in, they talked, and she was like, yeah, this thing that he did here, these poems, have to continue to do. Um, and she did. And that, that's looked a lot of different ways throughout my life. But um, so like, you know, writing in middle school, it was like writing uh, love, no, love notes, you know, of words of affection. And then writing poems for like my grandma, my mom for their birthdays and Mother's Days and all that. And then uh, high school, it took a form of like trying to make sense of the world, trying to make sense of these intense emotions that I was feeling because puberty and all the things that happened around then. Um, and so like, yeah, trying to make sense of who I was and the things that I was seeing. And then in college, uh, as I started to frame real opinions and thoughts, um, it became a way to express um, those thoughts and opinions um, and so on and so forth. And it just continues to, to build relationships, but definitely started with my mom introducing me to um, words and encouragement and pointing out that I was, I was like, I was good at it and like, you know, reacting in ways that hyped me up and made me want to keep doing it. Awesome. I love that. And then also, I know you said that Kwame Ture is your favorite poet, and I'm wondering if you want to speak about him a little bit and or any other mentors or who you're reading right now or who you really love to watch. Um, sure. Yeah. Wow. Um, so yes, Kwame Ture is uh, a revolutionary uh, a Pan-Africanist, um, formerly known as Stokely Carmichael, uh, credited with coining the term Black power, uh, among other things. Uh, a couple of other lines in the poem about uh, organization come from like paraphrasing a couple of uh, different, or synthesizing and paraphrasing a couple of different speeches from Kwame Ture. And so, um, yeah, I, there's, there's, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm taking it back. I just used commentary and uh, I was leading a work meeting today uh, or a section of a meeting on political education. I used one of his speeches. Um, there's so much to say. People should, should listen to him. I think uh, obviously not like a, a literary poet, you know, is not a spoken word artist in any stretch of the word. Um, doesn't have any published poems that I'm aware of that could be out there. Uh, but so much of what he does on a stage and the ways that he draws connections between, um, between a condition and 
its implications between a people and their history between um you know just so, so many different things is this is it there's poetics to that as well as his hyperbole and exaggeration um, in ways that are not not you know not to amp up the truth but to really highlight it and so yeah just the, I, there's so many examples of, through his speeches through his writing um but it makes the learning entertaining and it makes the learning accessible um and interesting because it, and, and by by way of making those connections in the way that he writes and performs which is to say just speaks um yeah it, it makes it, it it makes the listener and the audience member a part of the process of being being educated which uh, I really am a fan of and really appreciate. And so that's why I said Formentary is my favorite poet. Um, who am I reading right now? Right now, I'm actually really fascinated and interested in Amiri Baraka um, and getting a like autobiographical uh, uh, understanding of, of just his life and the ways that he has, has lived and all the places he's been. Particularly, there was someone that uh, wrote an article about how he went to Cuba uh, in the early 60s and got cussed out essentially and how that was a form of his radicalization it was you know that the the folks in cuba were saying just the responsibility of an artist to be a revolutionary and to reflect um you know revolution and liberation and, and the conditions of oppressed people in their art which is not something that he was doing or was interested in and so i was like wow and so now i want to know just like what that trajectory was like so right now i'm reading a collection of uh, social essays between 1960 and 65 by him um and i just have a stack of books on my table all all kinds of things that i'm like digging into I'm, i want to reread stokely speaks uh the first time i read it i didn't know what pan-africanism was and so i kind of like skipped over the later part of the book uh, i read through it but it was like it didn't, i didn't have a connection to it but you know we're never really done with books as some some folks that organize that people's programs have uh have really really brought to the forefront of our minds uh, yeah the question. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. It's it's really cool because it goes back into like the next question I have, which is like poetry's role in the revolution mm. and what is the revolution from your perspective. I want to kind of talk about both of those things. So it's for sure. I have a friend who was uh facilitating a, a revolutionary art workshop. Um, and someone in the workshop was one of the things that they said in response to some of the, the speeches and things that my friend was throwing out there was that they said that they didn't, they didn't necessarily agree with revolution. And I, that was fascinating to me because it was like, you know, revolution is a historical fact. It's, it's a process It has, you know, meanings, histories, traditions, uh, people, all of that. Um, and so to disagree with it is, is strange and uh, to me. And so I didn't really have another wrap my hand, head around that. Um, and so I don't think that there is a, the revolution necessarily i think that we say the revolution it's like the revolution, you know um it puts it off right and it puts it off at a distance both uh, from the from the present to the past and from the present to the future and so we think about revolution as an uh, event revolution as you know a particular thing rather than as a process and that if yeah a process that can be or, or can't be successful um a process that we have to get involved in the um in the mechanics of, of making right now, you know? Um, and so roles, roles, mm -hmm. poetry's role in revolution changes as a revolutionary process changes right now. Uh, there's there's a, a lack of revolutionary consciousness even. And so I think the role of the art now um, is, is making folks aware of our condition. We're, we've been so lulled into our reality, this unreality as the only reality. So such that you say that we are not free and folks have, a, have trouble with that. Um, 
and so right now I think arts arts role there's there's a lot of different roles we're really just making people aware of you know what what our condition is and um making people aware of what's possible and so for me what that looks like I think I've made a transition from 2014 to now we've seen a lot of art that does two things particularly from from black poets and that's art that um or poetry that illuminates the violence and the atrocities that uh, the genocide that black people have been subject to in this country and others. Um, and it's also, uh, there's also art that, that has gone to say, you know, these, these other worlds and imagining new possibilities in a fantastical way. And so, you know, where, where bullets, uh, I don't know, turn into glitter and, you know, these really fantastical things, which, all, which is also important and necessary. Um, but not a lot of, you know, flipping violence on its head and showing the mortality of capitalism, the mortality of pigs, the mortality of, you know, politicians, all these people who are involved in, in murder and genocide right now and complicit in it. Um, and so for me, that's what my, I'm focused on flipping the violence on its head. And so really just to say revolutionary violence. And I think that that's, that that's a power that art has. Um, it's a power that poetry has specifically, um, so yeah, sorry, I'm dancing around the question, but no. poetry's role in revolution, I think, is two things. One, to illuminate people to their condition, uh, to reflect their condition, to, to make connections across um, the diaspora, across uh, the United States and across histories, across lines, and to also inspire folks into action uh, by whatever means. Um, and in, in some ways, you know, showing what, what types of futures are possible, what types of revolutionary uh, existences and times are, are, are possible. So right now folks may not be um, organized in terms of like we don't we, you know we don't have strings of community gardens that are that are connected across different organizations but that that is something that we can reflect in art and in poetry and, and reflect on to, to times and places that that has existed. So yeah. Sorry, my pit bull's going a little crazy because my neighbor is moving right now. But um all good. I wanted to tell you two things about what you just said that I thought was amazing. Like I'm thinking about your poem that, that you started with called Facts. I don't know if it's called Facts, but that's what I sort of labeled it as mm. in terms of what you were thinking about. What we believe means very little if we don't act on it is one of the facts that you had there and um, that I thought was really interesting in terms of, but we don't know how to act unless we can imagine it first. I'm thinking about that in terms of the Audrey Lord essay, um, poetry is not a luxury. And um, I also was looking at your poem about make your heart a revolver, right? When you said, turn the bullets into glitter, cause you're talking about like, and, and it said some, it said like, make your heart a revolver and empty the chambers. Like, I just remember that beautiful, and make it safe, I think, to like say the things. Mm -hmm. And so all, all of that to me feels not, not like dancing around the question, but actually really getting at like how it is for you and what that means. And I, there, you're right, it's like an action. It's not the revolution. It's not a, like a destination, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Like that sounds like awesome <laughs> to me. So thank you for that. And I wanted to read a quote from the Audre Lorde book and kind of get your response because it's really related to what you were just saying. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if, you, I, if you've heard that, read this or, or not, but it's from the Sister Outsider um, compilation of her essays. But it says, she, she writes, 
In the forefront of our move toward change, there is only poetry to hint at possibility made real. For there are no new mm. ideas, there are only new ways of making them felt, of examining mm. what those ideas feel like being lived. That's kind of the, the overarching theme of what I'm trying to do in this 58 minutes for the program. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's related to what you're talking about in terms of like metabolizing and transforming the violence into stories of resilience and, and, mm -hmm. and uh, survival and thriving and also making new like radically reimagining how we be maybe in the world. I don't know. How does that look? Yeah, and I think, yeah, I think two things about that. One is that um, it points to when she says that there, there are uh, only new ways of making it felt. That makes me think about what I was saying about uh, just uh, the way that the role doesn't necessarily change, but what it, what it looks like. And so always the role is illuminating um, the, the conditions, always the role is inspiring people to action, always the role is um, showing and reflecting on and imagining and bringing that imagination to to the art of what's possible, uh, but it looks different. And so we get to look back at what has been created, what has been imagined, what has been materialized. We can also look at the impact of it, the way it was or wasn't co-opted by the state, you know, the way that, um, you know, they took or tried to take Henry Douglas's art and make it, uh, turn it up to make it, to, to reflect the Panthers in a particular light. Um, and so there's, there's that. And then uh, what I'm also thinking about when she says uh, there are no new ideas, when you said earlier about the imagination, I think that's what I was getting at too. We, as artists, as poets, we tend to spend a lot of time in the imagination and in the imaginary. But what Emery Douglas also makes clear too, and uh, a lot of his writing just about cultural revolution and about artists' role in revolution is that the action is, is, is what's important what's important and so when, when she says there's no new ideas I think it's also the responsibility of, of artists of people who are attempting to reflect any sort of revolutionary possibilities which is to say any sort of accurate reality um, that we have to study and we have to know um, and so like yes imagining the new possibilities but also understanding what, what does revolution mean what have been revolutions um, what are the what is, my, what, is, what is my specific politic and ideology that I'm aligning with? And what is, what is that, how is that ideology being reflected? And so am I um, a revolutionary nationalist? Am I a revolutionary pan-Africanist? Um, and am I, am I a communist? Am I, you know, what, what exactly, uh, what particular ideology am I aligning with and how is it being reflected? Because that's, that's the real test of revolution, not, um, not just that, I don't know, a cop dies in this poem, that doesn't make it revolutionary, except that, it fits into a larger goal and a larger process. And so what are we, what are we aiming for with that? And what are we aiming for with that? And I think a lot of uh, poets, a lot of artists um, who call ourselves, and I've been, I've been one of those, you know, my art is my revolution, you know, our, we, we should really spend a lot more time deciding what, what exactly are our goals and then organizing for them. And then just letting our art reflect that process rather than um, seeing the, the work in the classroom and through education and arts or through just creating art as our, as our, uh, as our work, if that makes sense. Completely. I'm thinking I just did a review of Judas and the Black Messiah 
Mm. talked about Fred Hampton and the Rainbow Coalition and just like how radical he really was. And that's why he was so dangerous to white supremacy and the FBI and the US government, right? And, and how he was like living that and was murdered so young. So I'm really thinking about how, um, yeah, like the action and the collaboration and the, you know, um, the coalition of co-conspirators, like, what does that look like? How do we navigate that? And how do we, um, how do we like love each other in the process? Even with all, all with all the messiness and the ugliness, and I don't know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a really interesting idea. Um, but I'm getting yeah. off on a major tangent. Can I say something about that? I know. Yes, totally. So there's uh, yeah, it's a couple of different things. So there's this book called The Black Panthers Speak, and it talks about the coalitions in there um, and people with the Young Lords, uh, the Patriot Party. Um, and a couple of different other non-Black groups that essentially tailored their program um, to be damn near uh, mirroring, if not terribly similar to the program of the Panthers, even though it was specific to the conditions of the people that they were addressing. And so Puerto Rican folks, um, poor white uh, Appalachian folks, you know, um, all that. And so I, when we think about coalition, we think about co-conspirators, I think right, white folks spend a lot of time going into the Black spaces, right? And like going into the Black protest, going into, you know, this organization um, that is trying to diversify a, a leadership or, or whatever the fuck it is, right? But don't spend a lot of time going to their community, go, going to their family, you know, go, going to their people. And I, I have a friend, uh, I know somebody who's who's organizing that uh, and in a place where they had a lot of white radical quote unquote radical white folks showing up and they were trying to figure out how to reach um because they're they're based in a black city and they're like how do we how do we I was like and I had to tell them I was like yeah maybe not maybe you don't reach black folks maybe those aren't your people you know and maybe that's okay and instead focus on who you are attracting and who you can organize because that's what's happening um and so if we think about coalitions we think about uh love it's, it's all it's all revolution you know uh one of one of the folks that I met through people's programs um she says that, ooh, I don't want to mess up the quote. So paraphrasing, but you know, if you if you love if you do not love me, no, if you do not organize for my liberation, you do not love me. And that's a part. It's I'm gonna say that part of the quote because I know that that's at least part of it. And so it's like when we think about love, that too is revolutionary. And to organize for liberation, to organize my people, to build a revolutionary coalition, because the goals and intentions of European Americans, the goals and intentions of uh, Mexicans who find themselves in this in this uh, settler colony, uh, the goals and intentions of Black folks, Africans who have found themselves uh, as a as a colonized nation inside of this one, inside of this uh, uh, United so called United States, all those goals and intentions are different, but the same at the same time, right? And so all of our enemies are the same. But what we might do, where we might go, you know, uh, what we can say, you know, all those things and, and the tactics might look different, but we can align behind the goal. So we think about coalitions. I don't. I can't build a coalition with any white folks who have not identified enemies that are the same as mine, and that's that's across any line. If the capitalism, colonialism, the United States government, the president—if those are not your enemies, then we we cannot work together. Um, it, it just won't work. And so I think about co- coalitions as a, essential, but it has to be revolutionary. 
Completely. I mean, and that's what he, I mean, that's what Fred Hampton was talking about was capitalism mm. right? and colonialism yeah. then, and it's been updated. I will on. I've been teaching a course for white folks called Dismantling Whiteness, because in my opinion, white people need to dismantle white supremacy because they're the ones who benefit from it. Right. And so I really like that really resonates with me in terms of what is the common enemy, right? And capitalism, which is part of colonialism and imperialism, right? It's like the use of people, right? And mm -hmm. the resources and that stuff. And it also- In the base of whiteness. Exactly. And I'm thinking about, you know, Bell Hook's um, essay, um, Love as a Practice of Freedom. And it's about like doing again, and it's about action. And it's, and it's also about um, what you said too, in terms of liberation, like if you're not for my liberation, then you're not for my, um, you don't love me. You know what I mean? Like you can't, you, you don't, you, you think it's like a performant, performative love or it's some kind of theory and it's not an action love. Like that's the thing about practice is that you're doing it. You're not just thinking it, um, which is an interesting thing too, that also relates to um, my second to last question, which is like, how do you navigate or manage like the echo chamber when you're um, performing or writing or reading your work, um, or maybe even in education since you're working in education too? Like, how do you manage the echo chamber um, and, and, and navigating that so that we can create and imagine and then act on these new possibilities or these new ways of being? I think uh, a practice of empathy and understanding, um, which sounds very vague, but I understand myself and my own uh, process as, I don't know, as just a, a constantly a, a dynamic, wait, I always get static and dynamic mixed up with it because they mean the opposite things in my head and they actually mean static is the same. Okay, yes. Um, a dynamic process and so understanding that also any uh, student any person human has the capacity uh, for that change too in the same way that I have the capacity for for change and honestly I struggle more with my understanding of that I'm a human too with a panda on that side um, but uh yeah I don't know I don't know that I avoid the echo chamber I think I get caught up in it often you know I have to catch myself um, from from reading things strictly that reinforce my point of view or from uh, avoiding conversations with, with folks that don't necessarily agree with me. Um, luckily, I think actually continually using words that mean things, and so using revolutionary language, there's a really dope article, and everything is people's programs. As a, one of the lead organizers at people's programs wrote this article about the necessity, the necessity of using uh, revolutionary language. And um, I think that that is super helpful and, and stepping outside of an echo chamber but can also become its own echo chamber, right? I think in terms of like uh, the public with the masses, it's helpful because I'm constantly having to define things and uh, expand my own understanding of them. Um, but in like organizing spaces, I think uh, what's helpful is just being around people who are committed to, to humanness and to being honest and to not, you know, performing revolution, you know, to not, excuse me, uh, neutralizing the, the, the reality that the work is most important, that the people are most important. And so putting the people, putting humanity, putting the service and the work first, 
is super helpful because there, there's there isn't that much to talk about really unless we're reflecting on the action and so that that being a reality um and that being a practice is helpful because yeah you can to an echo chamber because you're saying words that don't mean things whereas if i'm looking at a program and i'm trying to uh, understand the effectiveness of this program or the way it fits into a larger politic or a larger goal there's there's no way to echo because we're constantly changing and moving you know what i'm saying and so i think that that makes it harder to, to get into you know spaces where you're just saying the same thing over and over again or just surrounding yourself with people who uh either really agree or just are consistently saying that they do so it's like the, reflecting with the goal of trying to evolve and, mm -hmm. and make it more effective is yes. one of the ways, one of the strategies or, or um, that you can use to like not get stuck in that echo chamber is that, that that's what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And understanding that that process and change is the only way of life and only way of life giving and that it's something remaining the same and being stagnant and like that echo chamber thing is, 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 is oppressive because, mm -hmm. you know, it needs uh, capitalism, colonialism, they need control. Um, they need consistency and repetitionability and, and repetition. Yeah. yeah, right. It's like if you can't grow if you're constantly just staying in the same place or hearing the same thing over and over again. That's super dope. Awesome. Um, I want you to know that um, I think both of your poems don't have any curse words, so I won't have to like edit that out. I'm still asking them. If I can say the word, if we can have the word shit on the radio, I don't know. Maybe we can, maybe we can't. I don't know what all the FCC rules are. Um, sure. So I wanted to let you know about that because other poets are definitely going to, I have to edit out all the F bombs and stuff like that. So, um, but that's why I sent you all sure. your original, this is the cut, this is what happened um, on Saturday. And the only thing left that I have is if there's anything like closing thoughts that you want our audience to know um, or that you want to like any advice you want to give them, whether they're listening as a poet or as a student or as a revolutionary, any like closing thoughts that you might want to share with them. Oh, man. There's always a like this. It's it's a good pressure when when that question goes up. It's like oh, I have to say, I have to tell everyone everything they need to know. And I'm I'm dramatic, so I imagine like a podium that goes out to the entire world, like it's a broadcast. Um, nah, I think you know, tap in with your your local revolutionary organization. Um, there, there's fires to start. There's histories to study, um, and our oppressors. Um, the people who are benefiting from capitalism, colonialism, neo-colonialism, um, they are they are human as well, and you know they they too will see graves uh, as as will the systems and processes. So you know, I believe that we will win, and we will indeed. Awesome! Thank you, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it.